back a bit there, Ryan. Lord, I lift your name on high. I sang that on a missions trip to London like every single day. We went around to all these RE classes, religious education classes. In public school, they had these classes, and you can go in there and just flat out preach the gospel and then sing. So I did that all around London with a group, and then we preached and did street evangelism. But it's going back a bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. This morning we're just going to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat, to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. I, I'm going to take this chapter a, a little bit in stride. You know, we have reference to the, the miscarriage in verse 3. Heading into verses 4 and following, and I can't just blow past that. We need to take some time to dwell on it. One of the reasons why I want to dwell on addressing the issue of what he means by miscarriage there, and that is that there are those who actually use this particular text as a proof text for justifying abortion. So we will address that next Sunday as we walk through this passage. So this morning, I want to just look primarily at verses 1 and 2 as Solomon sets the stage for us. We are going to go back to chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 a little bit as way of refresher, because he's going to make a transition now in chapter 6. But I begin with these statements. I, I came across this article by D. Mahaney, and the author writes this in regards to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes has shown me the secret of enjoying life even in the midst of trouble. It has rescued me from disillusionment when labors I thought were fruitful appeared to be for naught. How many times have we done things in life and thought that somehow there would be something good to result from what we did and we put forth an effort, a good effort, a right effort, and yet at the same time it seems to turn out for nothing. This is one of the things that Solomon is going to get us to contemplate. The author goes on to say, Ecclesiastes has cured me of setting my hope on a particular outcome. Has protected me from becoming bewildered and disheartened by bad news. In other words, Ecclesiastes has made me a realist. And yet I am happier than ever before. It's one of the amazing things about the Word of God is that it helps us to see things as they really are. We are a realist, but it also helps us to be an optimist. So we should be realistic optimists, especially when we come to Ecclesiastes. There are some thoughts, though, that I want to lay out for us before we walk into this chapter. In this next section of Ecclesiastes, as Solomon takes us on this journey. And these thoughts are from previous passages we've looked at, but also preparing us for what is to come. So I will continue to do this where I will just lay out some things, that, some key issues that Solomon addresses. And so I, I want them to keep them fresh in our mind, not only looking back to what we've looked at, but also as we move forward. The first is this, that mankind searches for happiness and enduring substance. 
We are surrounded by those who do this. In Ecclesiastes, it presents to mankind an invitation to enjoy life. As much as Solomon gets into the nitty-gritty of things and he sort of paints these bleak pictures at the same time, it calls us to a life of enjoyment. In other words, it challenges us to an unparalyzed life of uncertainties. Enjoy life as God's gift. We see it for what it is. And we don't have to be paralyzed by those things that we don't understand or by the answers we are the questions that we can't seem to find answers to. He challenges us to keep moving ahead and realizing that God is in control and therefore we don't need to fret. We don't have to put all the pieces together in every moment of our life. Sometimes I know we get frustrated, right? And this for us sometimes is how we would define a life that is truly satisfying is when it makes sense to us all the time. But life isn't going to make sense to us all the time. And Solomon helps us to understand that. But we can still walk ahead with contentment and certainty of the fact that God is in control. We can be undepressed by life's shortness and we can enjoy life as God's gift. It shows us that we must be reverent towards God as we serve God. And we can enjoy this life as God's gift. Not only that, but Solomon helps us to understand that God is sovereign. He is in providential control of all things. And this characterizes human existence on planet Earth. In other words, one of the things that we sort of deceive ourselves with is the fact that we think we control everything about our life. We don't. And so what Solomon does is he challenges us that we must believe that God is the creator with whom we cannot trifle. We cannot take him lightly. We must accept that God's world cannot be changed to our liking. How often do we do this in life? We see a situation, we don't like it, we want it to fit what our ideals are or what our expectations are, and God reminds us over and over again, I'm in control. It's my calendar, not yours. And what I have found over, li over life in watching God work is that His timing is always perfect. Not only that, but we cannot extrapolate the future on the basis of the present. Because the pattern keeps changing in accord with God's plan. This frustrates us sometimes. We think things are going to work out a certain way. Chapter 7, he's going to talk about life under God. And in verse 14, he says this of chapter 7. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Sometimes we, we really don't have a problem, right, when things are good and praising God, but when things aren't so good and when we might be in the midst of a trial and suffering and somehow it's hard for us to grasp the fact that God is still in control. For the young people on Friday night, we're going to Philippians chapter 1, and Paul is talking about the fact that God has grace gift us. Two things that he gifted us with his grace, faith in Jesus Christ and suffering for Jesus Christ. And I asked the youth, how can you understand this, right? That this is a grace gift, this suffering that we go through in life. We see the good things as a gift from God, but what about the bad things? What about the suffering that comes in our life? And I'm not talking about the consequences of our own sin. Solomon helps us to understand that we must believe that God is the judge and he will bring all wickedness into judgment. And this next section, we move into chapter 6, and if I will, this is going to be the title for the next series of sermons from chapter 6, Possessing Everything, Enjoying Nothing. This is the conundrum. 
He ends with a positive note in chapter 5, and then he moves right into chapter 6 with this difficult thought that comes. And he is going to lay it out for us in verse 2. The man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he, his soul lacks nothing that he desires, and yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. God has not enabled him to enjoy them. How can this be? How is it that this person can have these things and enjoy them, but this person can have these things and not enjoy them? Doesn't make sense. Sometimes there are these enigmas in life that we look at life and there are questions that are raised that we don't know the answer to. And Solomon is going to address this. But he moves from talking about the issue of money, and he was very clear on this. Money in and of itself is not bad. But he's going to help us to understand from the observation in chapter 6, verse 2, that wealth does not hold its own enjoyment in and of itself. We saw that he drew an observation of government in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, that government is an extension of God's justice on earth. But government too often is a means of gaining wealth and power in politics. This is difficult for us to grasp. And I find this very intriguing that politics is supposed to be a, a means in which you serve the public. Right? It's public service. This word politic comes from polis, the Greek word city. It's about the city. It's about serving the people. But how can something that is about a public service be something in which someone can be so self-serving? How do you go into it broke and come out filthy rich? I mean, ask Joe Biden. <laughs> he likes to tout the fact that he was a broke congressman, broke more than anyone else who sat in Congress. And yet, unfortunately, political corruption and oppression have been around for a long time. This is nothing new under the sun. Because God's judgments aren't always swift, at least swift in our estimation of what swift ought to be. Sometimes there are those who think that God is ignoring the plight of the oppressed, but he is not. His word makes clear he does see, he does care, and he will make the guilty pay. Solomon then moved to the observation of society in verses 10 through 17. What is truly sad is that money, the all-consuming passion for so many people around us, find no satisfaction in it ultimately. And it's amazing because as he ends chapter 5 for us, verses 18 through 20, when he gets to be a little bit grim and it becomes so overwhelming, he brings these refreshing thoughts to us and he helps us to understand that we can find enjoyment in this life. Even though everything around us might seem to be grim, it doesn't have to be. We can find contentment and satisfaction What's interesting to me that in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, the key word is God used four times. And he explains that people can enjoy God's gifts of possession and wealth, whether it's in want or whether it's in abundance. So this is interesting because he sets the sage for chapter 6, verse 2, as he talks about the fact that we can have this enjoyment in abundance. And then he describes someone who has an abundance and yet they can enjoy this. How can this be? Such enjoyment, Solomon says, provides a relief from the toil and trouble of mortal life under the sun. In which he is establishing a contrast. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 23, and he painted this picture of drudgery. Now he shows that there can be found this enjoyment. And he brings us then to chapter 6. 
And chapter 6 provides a gateway into the next following chapters. And so I need to sort of lay this out for you because he's going to move to talk about someone who possesses all of this wealth and yet is unable to enjoy it. In other words, what Solomon opens up for us is the fact that there are manifold mysteries in life that we cannot understand. And even Solomon as a wise man cannot understand these things. They seem inconsistent to him. Mere mortals cannot adequately understand all that God does in this world. We don't understand everything that he's doing in our lives. Give an example. My parents, so we lived in Huntington Beach and my aunt and uncle, they lived just down a little ways from us. And my aunt and uncle were deciding that they were going to move. My grandmother was living with them at the time. She was going to go to a retirement home for SIM missionaries in Florida. And so my aunt and uncle said, we don't need a house this big. Let's move into something smaller. So they were putting the house up for sale. Well, my mom and dad decided they wanted to buy the house. So they sold the house where we lived in Huntington Beach and moved down the roadways and bought my uncle's house. Lived there for a time. And my dad decided that he wanted to move closer to work, which he was teaching at the Master Seminary at the time. And he was called to pastor a church, a Chinese church out in the valley. And so they wanted to sell the house and they wanted to move out towards the valley. So they put the house up for sale. The realtors come in and all of a sudden, when the realtors are there, this lady come bursting into our front door. I mean, she just walked in the house. And she starts ranting and raving about all this stuff. And my parents are a little bit freaked out, right? Uh, didn't understand what was going on. Asked realtors, is this person with you? No, we don't have a clue who this woman is. Well, come to find out that she owned a house in another state. And she was going to sell this house. And she found that she couldn't sell her house because it was contaminated with radioactive materials. She found out that the gentleman who owned the house before her did work for the government. And he made mercury switches in his house. So contaminated the house that she couldn't sell it and get her money back out of it. She lost everything. So she had been chasing this man all over the U.S. Well, it turned out that two owners before my aunt and uncle bought the house, this man owned that house. Now my parents own it. My parents want to put it up for sale, but they find out maybe there's something wrong here. So they had it inspected. Sure enough, found radioactive material. The whole side of the house, they had to tear it up. Concrete, patio, everything from the front of the house all the way to the back of the lot. They not only had to do that, but they had to dig all the way down. <laughs> Figured we were heading to China now because they dug so much. They had to take all of this soil out. Now, what was really bad was that all of this stuff was contaminated. So I had to go into special trucks that had to go to a special dump way across the U.S. And it could only travel on certain roads to get to said dump. Now, imagine my parents have to fit this bill. And if they don't do it, they can't sell the house. You sit there and ask yourself, like Solomon, what in the world are you trying to say, God? This makes no sense to me. I didn't do anything to bring this on. Why am I going through this? We have these enigmas in our life. Questions that we can't immediately find answers to. Solomon says there's a way to deal with them. And so he's going to help us to do that in this chapter. So what's interesting is that he lays out three things. These are three test cases, a full treasury, a full quiver. Notice verse three of chapter six of a man fathers a hundred children. 
I can't even hardly handle six. A hundred children, right? So what if you have a full quiver, right? There's a serious retirement plan there. And then chapter six, what if you had a full life? Even if a man lives a thousand years twice, I don't want to live 80 once, right? But he's trying to paint the biggest picture possible. And in every single one of these, this is an example that he's laying out for us. Test case number one, a full treasury. Test case number two, a full quiver. Test case number three, a full lifespan. So what if you have all of these things, right? You have everything possible, everything that your heart can desire. Wealth, honor, family, long life, education, whatever it is. How can you have all of these things and find no joy in these attainments? How can you not enjoy them? Now, I have to tell you this, that this opens a gateway for Solomon because now he's going to talk about man's outward fortunes. He's going to then talk about man's character in chapter 7. And then he's going to consider the role of government, chapter 8. So I say chapter 6 is sort of a gateway that opens up into a series of things he's going to address. But what he says here is important for us. We begin just with this, verses 1 and 2, a full treasury. Riches, wealth, and honor. What more could you ask for in this life? What more could you seek under the sun? What's interesting is that how he introduces this, this verse 1 for us. First, he tells us that there is this constancy of this ominous observation. Something that he has observed before, he's going to observe it again. He ends with this reference in the end of chapter 6, verse 2. This is vanity, a severe affliction. He returns to similar wording he's done before, but he understands, look, this is evil. And this is his observation. And we read this, we can see also his experience in this, but these are things that he looks around and he, he sees them. And so this is his test case. And as he lays it out, we said this is like a journal, but if we want to put it in more contemporary terminology, this is his blog. And this blog comes in a heavy tone. He's going to take us deep again. <laughs> he brings our head above the water, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, and then he takes us back in again. He's going to bring our head back up again, and then he's going to take us back down again. But I find it interesting that he begins this way emphatically. And he does this often in Ecclesiastes, where he uses terms, in, in very strong terms, in a very emphatic way. Chapter 5, verse 9, he begins the first word as he begins in the Hebrew text, prophet. So he begins 5, 9, prophet. So he's going to show that this is a positive thought as he lays out chapter 5, verse 9. So when he comes to here, he is going to begin with an evil. There is an evil, he says, that I see. This is a heavy expression. So Solomon's helping us to understand, look, I'm not sugarcoating this. I'm not going to do this with anything. I'm not going to use rose-tinted glasses. I'm not going to make anything up either. All of this stuff is true. In other words, what he wants us to understand is that he is facing reality squarely in the face and he's reporting what he sees around him. He doesn't hold anything back. Sometimes people say, look, I just want you to be real. <laughs> and sometimes I have to say to them, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want to be real? Because if we really, really do want to be real in our life, right? Like our own life. I really want to grow. And therefore, I want to get real about maturity in my life and growing in the faith. Do you really want to get real? 
Because if you want to grow in the faith and you want to get real about your life and relationship with God, that means that if you want to build up, you must dig down. That means you've got to deal with the sin in your life. 1 John chapter 1, you've got to be honest with yourself. You say you have fellowship with him and yet you continue to walk in darkness. You lie, right? And you do not practice the truth. You want to get real? <laughs> Solomon's going to take us there whether we want to go there or not. He's going to be real. He's going to say things that we don't care for. He's going to cover terrain that he's covered before, but at the same time there's new thoughts that he gives us. He gives us the constancy of this finite, limited perspective. Notice, if you will, in verse 1, as he talks about the fact that from this point of view, we're talking about that which is under the, under the sun. Hashemesh. Same perspective. This is what it looks like. Here's what's intriguing to me, though. He uses that same phrase, under the sun, but notice this, and he says, and it is, verse 1 of chapter 6, and it is prevalent among men. Now, literally in the Hebrew, it's not among men, it's upon men. In other words, he says that this is what weighs heavily on mankind. And it's for all of us. And in other words, it isn't just for the unbeliever, it's also for the believer. Ah, now it's getting interesting. This is what I see for all of us, Solomon says. This is the human condition. Similar principle happens in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. Notice with me. If you think, this is dealing with temptation, if you think that you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Verse 13, Paul writes, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. There's nothing new under the sun. Right? We all go through this. Believer, unbeliever. Then he goes on to say, God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. There's something common to all of us. So Solomon here in Ecclesiastes 6 in verse 1, he's highlighting the fact that this is something that all of mankind experiences. This is common to all of us. It is what is an eight within the human condition. It's a reality for everyone. The reality is prevalent or it's widespread and it weighs upon men. We understand that there are those who have the divine perspective on life and they can have this and, and they can face this reality, this sort of conundrum and enigma. And we don't have to despair like the unbeliever does. But we have to at least acknowledge the fact that there are times in life under the sun that there are perplexing questions in this life that we cannot answer. Maybe God gives us an answer down the line. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe we won't know why he takes us through things until we get to glory. But what we can do is trust that God is in control. And this is how he's going to end the chapter in chapter 6 verses 10 and following is he's going to end on the sovereignty of God. So he's going to lay out all of this stuff and then he's going to end with this thought about who's in control of everything. So he gives us a way to deal with these conundrums in life, these questions that come, these puzzles that seemingly cannot be solved in our life. 
the unbeliever, you can see the frustration, right? Because they want a life that is satisfying and they have these questions. And the only way that they can have the satisfying life is if there's answers to these questions, if, if life makes sense to them or if there is purpose and meaning, right? But Solomon says, you don't find that under the sun. You find it in the one who is beyond the sun. That's where we come in, right? That's where we come in. Because that's where we bring the message of the gospel of Christ. So his observation then, and I put this shortly, it's, it's interesting because every time I read this, I, I can't help. So in the military, right, when they go out on, on uh, tasks that they do, if they have a mission that they need to carry out, they have a target. And if they don't engage the target, they don't find their target, they call out on radio to notify everyone else in command, and they say, no joy. In other words, no satisfaction. We didn't reach our target. We're unsatisfied in this. This is where Solomon is going to take us. Here's his observation. There's no enjoyment. In other words, wealth doesn't guarantee its own enjoyment. In and of itself, it cannot do that. It's the way God has designed things. He said, God has given all of these things to this man, verse 2. But it's also God who is the one who gives them the enablement to enjoy those things. Ah, there's an interesting thought, is it not? <laughs> so I will lay out for you the rest of this passage as it flows. This is the outline tentatively as we come to it. And we will come back and pick these thoughts up next week. In verse 2, the first part, he's going to talk about possessing the good life. It is a gift from God. Notice that God is the one who has given riches, wealth, and honor. But he also goes on to say in verse 2 that enjoying this good life is impossible apart from a gift of God as well. Thus Solomon's frustration. The conclusion, futility and pain once again. <laughs> you can't do this without God. He then takes us to the full quiver, a father of a hundred children. Then he takes us to the full lifespan, lived 2,000 years. And then he's going to move us in verses 7 and 9 to the elusiveness of satisfaction and rest. And he's going to end with a sovereign God. We may not understand everything in life. We have questions and it's okay to have questions. We need to be careful though how we address those questions to God. He doesn't owe us anything, but he ultimately has the answers. And sometimes we're not equipped to understand what he's doing right now in our life. Sometimes it takes five years, sometimes 10 years. I always remember my dad, you know, something would happen in life and I would ask my dad, dad, what's going on? Explain to me. And he would say, ask me in five years, ask me in 10 years, right? It's like, you're not ready now, son, but there'll come a time you'll be ready. Just understand that God has a plan for your life. And we can, even in the midst of uncertainties and things around us, chaos around us, that we can be content and we can enjoy. Let's pray.